انك لا تهدي من احببت ولكن الله يهدي من يشاء Assalamu alaikum tolaiz John Fontaine just before we begin the podcast please make sure you click subscribe and also set your notifications please support on the Patreon account Jazakallah khair assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah assalamu alaikum tolaiz welcome to the young smarts podcast it's me John Fontaine and I'm joined again with Dr Lawrence Brown assalamu alaikum sheikh wa alaikum assalam warahmatullahi wabarakatuh how are you doing Good, alhamdulillah. It's been a few years since I saw, I saw you last in yep. uh, Medina. Yeah. So uh, I've seen that recently you've you started to be a bit more active on on YouTube. You've done a few videos and and uh, you had a discussion which discussion debate. Yeah, a nice say. discussion. Nice yeah. discussion with yeah. uh, our old friend Bart Ehrman, who I thought um, was a bit more. I thought it was a bit more swaying towards the Islamic opinions up until recently. Um some of the podcasts I've seen him present with different people. Um he seems to have changed a lot. So well, well I mean, you know, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Uh you know, I don't know. Uh it, you know, it's obvious that he became rather emotional in the discussion we were having and uh, and so you know when emotions take over you don't really know what a person is thinking yeah. uh, as i said before i have a lot of respect for bart dierman for his biblical textual criticism and yeah. uh, he, you know he's he's obviously very learned in his field uh, and um, i don't know if he is sincerely investigating islam as a religion or not if he isn't then it you know it's kind of a moot point but if he is you know mm-hmm. as as you and i both know being converts to the religion mm-hmm. uh when you are investigating a religion you go through a lot of ups and downs a lot mm-hmm. of periods of confusion and uncertainty mm-hmm. uh so i mean i actually i actually don't fault him at all mm-hmm. for you know for anything it's just i, I mean you used to be human you, nature. you were an atheist before before you came to Islam you were raised yep. as an atheist for I think you said 35 years you you were an atheist pretty much atheist. yeah pretty much you know so you I mean if anyone has experience being an atheist and be and, and understanding how an atheist thinks and behaves I think uh, you have a good idea of that uh you know as decent as anybody um but yeah I mean I was a pretty outspoken atheist and I was trying to call people away from religion So he was an so, atheist proselytizer. I was. Uh <laughs> you know, I think it's just part of my nature. I've always been a little bit overbearing and mm. and So I, so, I never knew yeah. that. So what 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 type of discussions, what type of arguments did you have as an atheist dai? Well, pretty much the classic ones. Uh I mean the uh you know, just pretty much it hasn't changed much by the way, mm. you know, but uh the naturalistic explanations mm. for our existence and uh, you know the big bang and evolution and so on and the thing i realized later was that i had a fairly superficial knowledge of these things mm. i had not looked into them deeply enough mm. to raise the important critical questions mm. so you know for example if you're looking at a book of revelation 
and you find a mistake in it, well, then you instantly realize that it's not from God. You know, you yeah. just need to find one mistake. Yeah. Um, but with atheism, you know, atheists are not that, not critical of their own philosophy at that level. Mm. So, for example, uh, if you are talking about the theory of the, um, you know, the Big Bang, if you're able to prove one mistake with the theory, that's not enough for atheists to say, oh, in that case, you know, in that case, there must be some other explanation. We're wrong. No, mm. they'll say, oh, well, just science hasn't figured that out yet. Yeah. Okay. Science of the gaps. So, uh, <laughs> as opposed to God of the gaps. So, so, yeah. So, for example, you know, with the theory of evolution, um, you know, the one thing I had never really thought about, and it didn't hit me until I started believing in God, was that. The theory of evolution can explain a lot of things, but there's one thing it just can't explain, and that's where life came from. You know, the yeah. this um, you know ephemeral quality of of life. Yeah, it is quite an important point. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And you know, it's one that scientists struggle to explain. Yeah. You know, what is this thing that animates yeah. us and 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 gives us yeah. and plants and insects and everything? Yeah. That's, this property of life. Well, that's the one thing. That's the one thing they can't explain that should yeah. just bring everything into question. You know, you know, with the, with with evolution, I find it. Of course, evolution uh, of human human evolution is an argument against Islam. If you know, but it's not an argument against the existence of a creator. You know, I always find evolution a very misplaced argument when they use it against the existence of a creator. Because, uh, you know, you could have a creator behind the evolution. Right. You know, and, and it's like, okay, well, yes, it does contradict, the, the theory of evolution does contradict our revelation, you know, because our religion, yeah. you know, but it's not an argument against God. No, I know? get it. Uh, you know, and the, they really misplace a lot of these arguments. And, yeah, uh, no, I get it. You know, the concept that yeah. why couldn't God have set everything into motion yeah. and then let it evolve at its own pace? Yeah, yeah and, and of course, that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. a reasonable thing to, yeah. to say. It's like, you know, the, the, the old arguments of, um, oh, you know, we used to believe in Thor, you know, the thunder god, and now we know how lightning exists, so we don't need the thunder god anymore. But that doesn't, it's not, they're not two mutually exclusive kind of uh, explanations. You know, we can know how, how. Let's go back you know. to talking about, <laughs> I don't like to talk about, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but yeah. I just don't like yeah. to talk about these pagan gods. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, it's sufficient to say, yeah. it's sufficient to say, you know, okay, uh, we as Muslims can believe in the Big Bang. And as yeah. a matter of fact, most yeah. educated Muslims do. It's mm -hmm. just that. Instead of believing that the Big Bang came from nothing, yeah. you know, the old argument that, you know, in the beginning was nothing, yeah. and then it exploded into everything. It's like, what kind of sense does that yeah. make? You know, instead we believe that, um, so when you, when that, you know, that the Big Bang was under the, you know, control. Okay, I mean, God made it. Mm. God expanded the universe, and here we are. Mm. And yes, there was a Big Bang, but mm. it was under God's control. And it, in the same way, we can believe in evolution. Hmm. It's just that we can believe that either God set things in motion and then just let them run their course, hmm. or that he directed it, or that he created different species at different hmm. times. You know, however, 
I, I'm basically, anybody who talks to me about this, uh, who is investigating Islam, I just tell them, look, uh, don't let that be a stumbling block for yeah. you, okay? Yeah. Because we as Muslims, the, the only objections we have really to the theory of evolution is that we believe in human beings having been a separate creation yeah. from, the animal, from the animals. Yeah. But otherwise, if you want to believe in you know, evolution from little horses became big horses mm -hmm. and you know, big dogs yeah. became little dogs and you know, things evolved over time and one mm -hmm. species led to another, yeah, fine, don't yeah. let that talk you out of yeah. faith. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not, a, you know, you, you could have that belief as a Muslim. It doesn't take you outside of the fold of Islam, you know, to believe exactly. in animals evolving. You know. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, as I said, a lot of these arguments are very misplaced. Um, I want to speak a little bit about your interaction with Barton and, um, and what was you expecting beforehand, before you went into the discussion? How was you expecting the, the discussion to go? Um, because I have a feeling that it didn't quite go the way you expected. No, but... You know, I really went into it with a blank slate, uh, a mental blank slate. Uh, I did not know what to expect. Mm. I mean, I knew the work of uh, Barty Ehrman uh, in his biblical textual criticism. I had purchased uh, just so many of his books. I had a library of his mm. books. Um, but I basically stopped reading him when he came out with this one book. Uh, the title was God's Problem. And I, I sort of gave him the benefit of the doubt, bought the book, and started reading it. And uh, just said, oh, you know, it's such a shame, um, you know, to be... You know, the whole concept of God having a problem is outside of Islam. Human beings have problems, mm -hmm. but to say that God has a problem and, you know, and uh, <clears throat> that's basically, that's basically when I stopped, uh, stopped reading his books. And, you know, I felt that this is a classic example of what happens to many people when they achieve a high level of success in their fields. Because many times they get to a point where they have said what they wanted to say. They've kind of reached the pinnacle of success in their particular specialty. And instead of stopping there, they, they go on. Yeah. And they maybe, get into, they maybe get into something which really they just should not have gotten into in the first place. You know, it's, mm. and, and it's troublesome. Mm. You know, we see this a lot with, uh, I mean, we no, see this a lot with uh, Islamic speakers. Yeah, there's know? no doubt about him, and he's, he's, he's the best in his field. But he's, he seems to be now drifting into theology and religion, and, and this really isn't his, his area of expertise. Right. And that became very apparent in, in the discussion with you where he's using literally, I, I see it as very childish arguments, in my opinion, like using the problem of evil, again, like evolution, as an argument against the Creator, you know, when, when in fact it's not logically an argument against the existence of a Creator. Yeah, you know, but, but look, look, I mean, let's, um, 
Let's try to give everybody uh, the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you say it's kind of a childish argument. To him, it's a very serious argument. And in fact, it's been a serious argument, um, you know, from the beginning of human existence, basically. Um, as I pointed out in my follow-up talk, um, you know, this is a question that has been raised not just by human beings um, from as far back as we know, but this is a question that was raised by the angels before human beings were even created. And uh, actually, let me just grab my Mossaf here. Um, and uh, so, okay, so this is Surat al-Baqarat. Ayat 30, and in parentheses, mention, O Muhammad, when your Lord said to the angels, indeed, I will make upon the earth a successive authority, a khalifa, uh, meaning generations of mankind. So, I will make upon the earth a successive authority. They, meaning the angels, said, Quote, will you place upon it one who causes corruption therein and sheds blood while we declare your praise and sanctify you? He, Allah, said, indeed, I know that which you do not know. Hmm. So we have this interaction where the angels are, you know, basically questioning Allah's creation of mankind on the basis of, you know, uh, a creation that's going to mm. cause fitna, corruption, yeah. and bloodshed. But that's a very different argument to, that. That's it, that, that, the, the question of the angels is, why would you do that? It's not a question of, therefore God doesn't exist because there is evil. And that's the point I'm, I'm trying to get to where you've got a difference between it's a question of why does evil exist and not understanding why, which is a very good question. No, but and but but tying that to the existence of a creator, it it it's just an it's a logical fallacy to say um, ex evil exists, therefore there's no god. Okay, I get the point, but um, I mean, of course, of course, the angels are not going to question the existence of Allah. The angels are in the presence of Allah. And they are the functionaries of Allah. They are taking direct orders from Allah. Mm. Um, but then we have this separate level of newer creation, the human beings who you know, have freedom of choice. They have free will. They can believe or not believe. And Allah has chosen to make that the test of our existence. Mm. And so we have the evidences, but we don't have... Allah or Allah's presence in front of us, um, which is something obviously only a, a fool could deny if Allah were manifest in front of you. Um, so that, that's just a different situation, but that's not the point. I, I mean, whether you're questioning the, um, you know, the reason for pain and suffering in this life in the context of a creator, or whether you're questioning the creator, you know, in making this new creation, will, will you create one who commits, you know, corruption and, uh, mm. and bloodshed? 
It's, you know, it's basically the same, it betrays the same thought process. Basically a lack of trust, you know? Or understanding of purpose. I mean, to me, it's a lack of trust. I mean, the, the you know, the angels saying this, will, will you create one who causes corruption and, mm. and bloodshed, basically? Mm. Um, that's, you know, that's a lack of trust. And Allah's mm. answer, I thought, is very revealing. Mm. The fact that Allah does not launch into a, a long rational discussion, mm. a long explanation. Mm. Uh, to validate what he's doing. I mean, mm. first of all, Allah does not mm. need to explain himself. Mm. Um, but instead, he, he gives an answer which is basically saying, I, you know, I know what you know not. In other yeah. words, he, I know what I'm, he's saying, he's saying mm. that he knows what he's doing mm. and we should trust him, yeah. right? And that answer worked for the angels and that answer should be f sufficient for the human being. Yeah. But human beings are basically contentious you know angels angels accept and do because that's how they were created without free will mm. uh, human beings are contentious they they hear and they question and they argue mm. and and they uh, you know <laughs> they, they look for wiggle room mm. in their beliefs and and that's exactly what happens with most atheists and with this sp specific mm. subject you know so how, how was you expecting the discussion to go Initially, did you, did you not have any kind of I, I, idea? Of I mean, I, I, I really didn't know. Like I said, I had pretty much blank slated mm. my mind, and I was just, uh, I was just expecting to, you know, to talk with him and, and just see where things went. Mm. I was aware that he had written this book, God's Problem, and that told me something about his orientation, at least at the time that he wrote the book. Yeah. What happened since then, I didn't know. Um, and I hadn't followed any of his latest literature, so I haven't been keeping up with him. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure if you've, you've come across, he, I think I read it in one of his books, or maybe it was in one of his videos, quite a few years back, I came across it where he's speaking about his childhood. I don't know if you've seen this. He, he mm. actually got sick when he was a child. Okay, and uh, he points out that this was the reason for him becoming an academic, basically. <laughs> so it's interesting that an, an evil thing, uh, you know, which he perceived to be an evil thing, you know, being uh, he had a sickness and he had to stay at home and he was revising and become the most uh, knowledgeable in his class, and, and he ended up, be, you know, becoming an academic, and you know, basically, this so-called evil which he, he suffered as a child is the reason for his success you know of, of what he is today and, and I find it quite an interesting point because you know that one of your points a very good point which you mentioned and you raised in the discussion is that we don't know the wisdoms you know that there is from an Islamic perspective you know good things you know we, we don't know the wisdom behind these these evils like Allah mentions it might be that you like something that is bad for you, or you, you, or you love something, that, you know, you would like something that's bad for you, or hate something that is good for you. That, that we as humans, we can't even identify these evils in the first place. You know, we, we might perceive something to be bad for us, but in fact, it, it might actually be the best thing for us. You know, so I, I, thought, I found that quite interesting uh, because he has his own story for that, you know. And, 
I mean, I think um, we all, mm. I think everybody, if they look at their lives, everybody has something to this mm. extent in their lives, big or small. Mm. I mean, when any of us struggle against something, even if it's something small, we, we feel that we are a better person when we overcome that obstacle in our mm. lives. Yes, you know, and um, and as I was as I was saying, you know, we we tend to look upon people who persevered against adversity with admiration. Mm. We admire those people because they, you know, they show a um, you know an exceptional tenacity and and strength, and um, and they accomplish what a lot of people would would have not been able to do. They would have given up on it. Um, but all of us, in our own ways, have some, you know, some degree of that. And when you look at what, what God bids us to do, you know, all of the things in Revelation that Allah bids us to do, things that, that are noble, things that are good, um, they're all all things that we have to struggle with. I mean, I don't know any hadith or quote from the Quran where Allah tells us to elevate ourselves by going to a party and having a good time. I mean, uh, rolling in the lap of luxury or anything of that sort. Uh, the things that elevate us are always, yeah, it's a, it's a funny idea, isn't it? You know, uh, the, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, the point is made that it's harder for the rich man to get into paradise than it is for the eye, for the, than it is for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle. Um, which is not to uh, say that it's impossible, but metaphorically speaking, it's, you know, extremely difficult. And I think uh, the reason for that is because the test of Luxury and ease is probably a great deal more difficult than the test of hardship. The test of hardship, you need to endure, you need to be patient, you need to persevere. Uh, the test of luxury and ease, I mean, when people have everything going their way, they tend to become complacent. Yeah. They tend to think that everything's going their way, everything's sorted, and... Um, they relax, they become fat and happy, and, uh, and so on, and they don't struggle as much. Um, but it is in struggling that we, we elevate ourselves. Mm. I mean, okay, we just prayed Maghrib together, and the surah that I read in that surah is the line, you know, in now mal in the Malusri Yusra, you know, after hardship comes ease. Yeah. And then Allah repeats it, you know, in the Malusri Yusra, after hardship comes ease. And we all know that we appreciate things that, that are pleasant or that ease our hardship, even if it's just, you know, something cool to drink on a hot day or something warm mm. to drink on a cold day um, or, uh, you know, 
coming in, coming in out of the cold into a nice warm place where the, you know, the, a fire is, you know, the fire is there to warm your hands by, and so on and so forth. But similarly, similarly, I mean, people who have been through tremendous hardship, like, uh, like what Dr. Ehrman was mentioning, you know, starvation, periods of starvation, deprivation, uh, you know, extreme, extreme suffering. Mm when they come out of that, it's a transformative event. It changes the life. Yeah. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. It's, it's funny you should say I mean, that. I mean, because yeah. some people, some people end up, end up yeah. losing their religion. Yeah. They, they, they end up cursing God, saying, yeah. how could you do this to me? And others uh, end up turning to God. And most of the time... And that's the test. Up, yeah, and you find that most of the extreme tests People do actually turn towards a God more so than away from than away from God because if you look at Africa or, or Asia and the third world countries where a lot of these tests and more pro prolific tests of poverty and war and things, atheism just doesn't exist in a lot of these places or it's very very small compared to when people are literally living the life <laughs> in the lap of luxury as you say, people yeah. just get so so intelligent, so for their own boots, as they say, you know, too good for your own boots, because it, it, it's like, you know, you start to even contemplate whether you even exist or whether God exists. And Allah mentions, you, yeah. you forget Allah, you forget yourself, you know, you forget who you are as a human being and what you're fundamentally created for. You know, as you mentioned, that with hardship comes ease. This is, this is uh, inevitable. Allah is mentioning it. This is what's going to happen. This is, this is a part of life. And you so, uh, cannot enjoy life any other way. Mm. I mean, if you, if mentioned, every, you if mentioned a very good point actually in, in the in the discussion, which is you know something by its opposite. You know, you, you know good by bad. You know sweet by sour. You know, etc. You know, you, you know the true extent of something by the opposite. And it's what's interesting is even the people that that don't go to the hellfire will in some way witness the hellfire on Yom Al-Qiyamah. And it's kind of like showing us the absolute opposite of Jannah. And, and it's almost like we, we will know the, what Jannah is through the opposite of, of, of seeing and witnessing Jahannam, subhanAllah. And, and I thought that was quite a powerful kind of thought because if we were born in Jannah, well, we wouldn't know anything better, right? You know, it's like people who are born into into extreme poverty or difficulty. A lot of the time, they have no frame of reference. You know, the, I, I speak to my parents because my parents, you know, born in, in the 1950s. It was quite difficult to live in the UK, in England. Oh, sh shocking. Born in the 1950s? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, they must be old. He's really old. Really, really yeah, old. Yeah, I mean, you know. But it's, I was born in 1959. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my dad was born in 49, you know. Okay. Uh, and it, and and you know they're growing up. They couldn't dry the clothes. They had a, a log fire. You know, couldn't heat the house, and you know, having to use the mangle to 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 dry the the, the clothes. Okay, and, well, I, and I asked my parents. I, I said, didn't have to go through you know, that. I, I said to my parents, you know, "There's only one uh, toilet on the whole street. The whole street had to share a bathroom." Where was, was this? In England. In England. Wow. In, yeah. In Manchester. You know, a lot of the the, the you know the the old kind of. Uh, 
working men's kind I've, of I've know, heard about this, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, I said to my parents, you know, did you feel that you was kind of, you know, underprivileged? No, it was just a norm for them. You know, now if you had to go back to that, yeah, it's like, whoa, you know, this is terrible. But sure. at the time, that's all you know. And you, you don't, it's just a norm for you. You know, so yeah. And on the other side, if a person is raised in the lap of luxury where they are never wanting for anything, mm -hmm. everything is given to them, what do they become? They become spoiled brats. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, nothing is good enough for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they become unappreciative. They turn away from their mm -hmm. creator. Because, you know, why? what need to turn towards your creator mm -hmm. when you are not in distress? Mm -hmm. um, that's that's just human nature. So, Doctor, you are planning on doing a few different series about atheism, and also you're also planning on yeah. doing a book reading of your. You know, you've, you've authored. Yeah, that's the next book. on the agenda, and I. There are a lot of people, and there have been since you know who knows how long, who have dismissed the Creator or dismissed their belief in a Creator on this point. Um, but my main interest right now is uh, anti-atheism, refuting atheism. Mm -hmm. And so I've put together a number of talks on this and I plan on, uh, plan on bringing those out soon, mm -hmm. inshallah, hopefully. So tell us a bit about the content, what, what, what sort of approach you're taking in terms of um, how the author could get through to no real secret. Um, it's just that, uh, you know, having been raised atheist and spent much of my adult life as an atheist, uh, I think I know the atheist arguments. And uh, I think I know, you know, their weaknesses, and I want to bring those out. And um, the, uh, the thing is that so many of these arguments have a very critical element upon which they hinge. And if you can show that that element is not there, doesn't work, then the argument crumbles. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that's basically my methodology. Do you have a plan to, to write any more books? No. No. And for practical reasons, uh, I basically you know, I've recognized that people don't really, uh, people don't really read that much anymore. People are much more into audiovisual, you know, YouTube and other, you know, other platforms like that. And uh, and I think that's that's easier for me and easier for the viewership as well. And there's much more sort of practical interaction that way. My books are there for anybody who you know wants them and might benefit from them. But, uh, but I think from this point out, it's probably going to be, uh, you know, what we're doing now, blogging, yeah. conversations, and yeah. so on. Yeah. Zafra, I think we'll, we'll leave it there, and um, I look forward to doing a few more episodes with you. Maybe we can start getting into some of, the, some of your arguments and some of your experience as well as an atheist. I'd like to, uh, you know, speak to you more about some of the, your atheist DAO, as you say. You know, some of your interactions with with theists and how you used to debate them. Sure. Sure. So maybe we can touch upon that next time. There's sort of an atheist triad, which is is just 
a combination of aggression, belittling, and arrogance. You know, mm -hmm. the atheists sort of prop themselves up as the, the ones who know everything, and they mm -hmm. always talk about science, 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 as if it mm -hmm. ele elevates them to the level of an intellectual. Mm -hmm. And they belittle anybody who does not deal on the basis of science. Mm -hmm. One thing that they don't realize is that a lot of creationists do deal on the basis of science, and a lot of creationists are scientists. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you start getting the aggression, and then you start getting the belittling, like, uh, mm. you know, the, the, the little jabs that, you know, are intended to make a person look like they are less than intelligent. Mm. And, and it's emotionally manipulative, basically, yeah. getting other people to feel like, you know, yeah. Yeah. put down and small, and, oh, they're not going to respect me unless I'm on their level. We can talk more about that later. Sure. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. And we look forward to seeing more of your content online. And uh, if you need any help with that, you know, I'm here. Okay, thanks. And uh, assist you with that. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, please comment, share, subscribe, and put in the comments something you'd like to see. Maybe you have a question for Dr. Lawrence Brown. Maybe we can raise it in the next podcast. And uh, join us next time. Also, Yes, sir. Oh, and uh, I, I do have to put in a, a mention of my own uh, email. I am a bit of a recluse, but please, anybody who wants to contact me directly, my personal email is askdrbrown at yahoo.com. And that's askdrdr. No period or anything like that. Just A-S-K-D-R-B-R-O-W-N at yahoo.com. Respect my reclusiveness, please. And uh, understand that, uh, you know, understand that that's just kind of the way I am. I am a bit reclusive, but anybody who really needs to reach out to me, that's where they can find me. Jazakallah, I appreciate that. So uh, there you are. If you have any questions, <laughs> also put them in the comments so I can uh, benefit from them as well. And join us next time on the Young Smirks. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. أحببت ولكن الله يهدي من يشاء